So Exodus chapter 30, read a few verses. Uh, Verse 1 through 6, it says, You shall make an altar to burn incense on, and you shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, so 18 inches, and a cubit its width, so 18 by 18. It's going to be square. Two cubits shall be its height. It's going to be three feet tall, and its horns will be one piece with it. You're going to overlay this wood, overlay its top with gold all around its horns as well. And you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two rings you shall make for it under the molding on both sides. And you shall place them on the two sides. And they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. We've looked at that system. Every piece of furniture, rings, poles, be able to carry it around throughout the desert. Verse 6, you're going to put it before the veil. That is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I will meet with you. So again, the whole point, the whole purpose of all the furniture, this incredible building, the priesthood, the linen fence, all of this is to have a place to meet with God. G. Campbell Morgan, he reminds us the table of showbread. There's three pieces of furniture there in that first room. Table of showbread, it's there to represent communion or fellowship with God. The lampstand speaks of our testimony to the world, right? Jesus, he's the light of the world. Now that Jesus is not on this planet anymore, we are the light of the world. We should have a testimony. We should be shining out in this world. And finally, this golden altar speaks of offering of adoration or worship unto God. Every single one of these pieces, a reminder to be able to meet with the Lord. I ask you, do you have a place where you meet with the Lord? You have a special place in your backyard, maybe a special chair, special table, special place in a park, special place on a beach. I encourage you to have a place to meet with the Lord. Maybe you don't have a physical place, but just a time. Lord, every day, 6.30 to 7 or 8.30 to 9. Maybe some of you people that aren't that good at waking up, right? 9.30 to 10, right? Whatever time of day, set aside a time to meet with the Lord. That's why we're here on this planet. Then in verse 7 and 8, it says, Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamp at twilight, he shall burn incense on it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Scripture gives us the details on, okay, what is this a picture of? As we've been going through the tabernacle, we've been looking at, okay, physically what's going on here? Context of what's going on. We've been looking at how it's a picture of heaven and the throne room of God. And then we've been looking at, okay, how do we apply this to our lives today? You can write down Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, and Revelation chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. In Revelation 5, verse 8, it speaks of the throne room of God, and it tells us that there's golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And Revelation 8, verse 3 and 4, tells us that he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angels' hands. So this altar where they would burn incense was a picture of our prayers being sent up to the Lord. We can turn to Psalm chapter 141 and here uh, King David himself, the psalmist of Israel, 
he speaks to this same truth that our prayers should be that sweet-smelling aroma, that fragrance, that incense being sent up to the Lord. There in the book of Psalms, chapter 141, verse 1 and 2, David, he says, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as the incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So again, even David, he paints the picture that his prayers, Lord, may they be as incense being sent up to you. We can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and here Paul gives us a few uh, bullet points on the type of life that we should be living. Because if we're honest, one of the areas where most believers struggle, it's in prayer. It's in prayer. And in every church, right, prayer meetings, those are the tough ones, right? Prayer meetings, I don't want to go to that. I go to that and I want to fall asleep. I go to that. That's where the weird people go and pray weird prayers, right? I don't want to do that. Strange things happen there. But Paul he gives us quick bullet points. I love quick lists like this, right? And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at this list. Verse 16 tells us, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Right? We've been speaking about that the past few weeks. People say, God, what's your will for my life? Right there, it says it, that you would rejoice always. That you'd be praying without ceasing. That in everything you'd be giving thanks. Verse 19, that we would not quench the spirit. That we would not despise prophecies. That we would test all things and hold fast to what is good. And that we would abstain from every form of evil. Again, Paul reminds us that we should pray without ceasing. There in Exodus, it tells us that this altar of incense, it was to be a perpetual state of incense being thrown up to the Lord. And we should be constantly in a mindset and a heart of prayer. We have that open door of communication with the Lord, but do we really take advantage of it? How many of us are here saying, yeah, I totally take advantage of my prayer life with the Lord. Or my prayer life is awesome. I pray all the time. It's usually a very humbling thing. And it's a reminder to us of the heart that the Lord has to hear us, to listen to us. And we go through some rough seasons in life. I think each of us have been there when we're praying and praying. And maybe you're having that heart, that mindset to pray without ceasing. And you're saying, Lord, is anybody up there? Am I just... Talking to myself? Am I talking to the wall? Right? God, is anybody up there? Lord, are you doing anything? And I love this history of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Let's turn to Luke chapter 1. And here you have a couple, especially a man here, who's going through a similar season of life. If there's anyone here, and I'm sure in a room this size, there's at least one of us here saying, Lord, are you even listening to me? And you have an older couple going through one of the most difficult things a married couple can go through. Not being able to bear children. They're not able to have kids. And at this point, they're getting older. They're getting up there in their lives. And again, we struggle with this as well in this culture. When someone couldn't have kids, when someone was sick, when someone had problems, they thought it was God judging them. 
Right? One of the times the disciples asked Jesus, what did they do or what did their parents do that God is judging them this way? So here you have a married couple. They can't have kids. They don't look like they're blessed. Much less, he's also a priest. He works in the temple. And yet their life looks like God doesn't want to bless them. And they're in Luke chapter 1, verse 8. It tells us, so it was that while he, this is Zacharias, he's serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And now the whole multitude of the people, they were praying outside at the hour of incense. So this is the morning or the evening time when they give up that altar of incense. Verse 11, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. So again, maybe you're here and you're just in that difficult season saying, Lord, Do you even hear me? Lord, are you up there? Be reminded he hears your prayers. Now that's the good news. What's the bad news? The bad news is sometimes he hears our prayers and he waits a little bit to answer us. I'm saying, what's going on? I need an answer right now, right? I sent a text message 30 seconds ago. How have you not answered yet? What's going on? What's happening? Sometimes he waits to see if we just want him to be the genie to fix our problems or if we want him Because he loves us and he's forgiven us and he's saved us and he's given us so much that we can never pay him back. Sometimes he's given us the answer and we just don't like it. So we just keep going to him saying, that can't be the answer, right? You ask him something, he says no. And you go, nah, God, it can't be that. Well, really, what do you want to say, right? Really, what should I do? Lastly, the warning to us, even as we've been going through 1 Peter, is especially for the husbands here, if you're not treating your wife correctly, God says he's not going to listen to you. He's not going to listen to your prayers till you're treating his daughter correctly. Throughout Psalms and Proverbs, there's warning to us that God, he's near to the brokenhearted. He's quick to hear the righteous. But to the wicked and to the sinful, it's as if he's saying, I'm not going to hear anything you have to tell me. So again, if you're in a season where you're saying, Lord, are you out there? God, are you even listening? Is there sin in your life? Has he already answered you and you just don't like the answer? Are you treating the people around you correctly? Some things for us to be reminded of. But again, he is a God who hears. He is a God who sees. And for us, we're blessed in the new covenant because we don't have to have a man out there offering incense or prayers for us. But now we can pray. We can be giving up that altar, that sweet-smelling aroma up to the Lord, and we don't need a go-between. But on top of that, we do have a go-between. We have a great and incredible go-between, right? If you're quick, we can turn to Hebrews chapter 7. And there in Hebrews chapter 7, we see that we do have someone who's interceding for us. Someone who, in a sense, is praying for us. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, here speaking of Jesus, one of the themes of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better than Period. He's better than everything else. He's better than anything else. And in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, it tells us, But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. 
Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So again, not only does God hear our prayers, but we have Jesus there in the throne room of God interceding on our behalf. He's making intercession for us. And we saw how in the throne room of God, there in that golden center, in that golden bowl, is the prayer of the saints. Right? It's something special to him. It's something important to him. It's not in the shed of heaven, right? God doesn't tell one of the angels, hey, go back there to the shed and bring me some of Zach's prayers, right? No, it's there in his throne room. It's there right in front of him, right next to him. We can go back to Exodus chapter 30. And now God has very specific things for them to offer on this altar of incense, right? Again, a picture of prayer. And there in verse 9, it says, You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. Again, just like the measurements and materials that we've seen throughout these past few chapters, none of them were up to the artistic freedom of Moses. Moses didn't decide, hey, this is what I think God wants. This is what I think God likes. No, God told them specifically, this is what I like and this is what I want. And here, he didn't have the artistic freedom to create his own fragrance, right? Or fragrance of the month or flavor of the month or Baskin Robbins or anything like that. Had to be exactly what God said, and he couldn't offer anything else on it. Also notice it was only for incense and no other offering. The warning to us is that no other amount of religious activity can make up for the sacrifices being made on the altar and the incense being given up to the Lord. Some of us, we say, ah, oh, my prayer life's just not that great because I'm serving so much. That probably means either you're serving too much or you're wasting time in other things, right? Nothing can make up for prayer. It's its own special entity. And if Jesus, the Son of God, one of the Trinity, perfect God in human flesh, made time every morning to get away and pray with God, how much more should we make time to meet with God and to pray with God? Also notice, we can be reminded, the first thing you saw when you looked into the tabernacle property was the altar. And the only way you can get into the presence of God to make intercession, to pray, it's through sacrifice. It's through that killing place. David Guzik, he says, prayer is not the place of sacrificial, where sacrificial atonement is made. It is the place where sacrificial atonement is enjoyed. We don't save ourselves through prayer. We pray because of Jesus' saving work on the cross. Family, our prayers do not make up for our offenses against the Lord. Our prayers don't make up for our breaking His moral code. Our prayers don't make up for our sin. Only the death and sacrifice of a perfect life which for us is the blood of Jesus Christ, can make up for our offenses. And once we've come in through the blood of Christ, once we've come in through that killing place, that altar, now we have fellowship with God. Now we can pray. Now we can spend time with Him. I had a close friend before I really was walking with the Lord, and I would ask, hey, do you go to church? Do you have any type of relationship with God? Oh, I go to Catholic churches when they're empty, and I just sit there and pray to God alone. In his mind, he thought he was making penance. In his mind, he thought him being able to go in there and pray 
paid for his sins or would make up for his sins. We shouldn't get that twisted in our mind. If we have sinned, we need to confess our sins and get right with the Lord. Now, that might be your prayer, but it's not just praying or talking with God is going to make things better, right? He's not a psychologist that we sit down next to and say, oh, this is just what's going on in my life. Everything's good now, right, God? No, we need to confess our sins and get right with him. Later on that day of atonement, you can write down, it's in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 11 through 20. On that day of atonement, Aaron or whoever the high priest was would take a censer, right? A bowl filled with the burning coals from the altar. And he would take those burning coals from the altar and now he would bring that into the presence of God and he would put that with the incense on fire before the Lord and there'd be a cloud of incense over the mercy seat. Again, the only way we can enter into God's presence, the only way we can have this relationship of prayer with God is through the killing place. That's through the altar. It's through the death of Christ for our sins. We also should be reminded, right, as he said, don't offer any strange incense, don't offer anything else. We need to be reminded that not all prayer is made the same, right? A woman is not the same as a man, right? We know that. Shouldn't be ending our prayers like that. Meditation is not the same as prayer. Talking to the universe, not the same as prayer. Putting out positive energy, not the same as prayer. Creating and placing vibes out there for the universe to respond to us, it's not the same as prayer. And we need to be careful that people have different forms and ideas of spiritualism and all they are is mocking God and the death of Jesus Christ for us. We're trying to say there's another way. There has to be another way because we don't want to face the fact that Jesus tells us in John 14 verse 6, Jesus tells us, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? I think some of us who have been there, yeah, my, my time with God is at the beach or on the boat or in the woods, in my backyard, right? No, it's only through Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, and one of the greatest teachings ever, right? He says, there is salvation in no other. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation, it's in Jesus and Jesus alone. Finally, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, it says, For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. It's only through Jesus Christ. That's how we get to have that friendship and relationship with him. And again, realize he wanted it to be perpetual. He wanted it to be ongoing. The heart of a father to sons and daughters. How many of you parents here, maybe you wish that your kids would speak to you more, right? I'm in that season of life where, if I could be honest with you guys, I wish my kids would speak to me a little bit less, right? <laughs> they don't stop. They don't stop talking. Seven, four, two years old, they do not stop talking about random things, about animals and hippos and belly buttons and <laughs> unicorns and rainbows, all this great stuff, right? But I'll never forget uh, Pastor Rich Chafin. He came last year for the young adults, and he was in the car with us. My kids, maybe you guys think I'm mean, but my kids, I try to teach them, hey, when adults are talking, you don't talk, just listen, right? That's sort of how I was raised. So Levi starts going off talking to him about this animal fact and this sea creature and this, that, and the other. So I says, hey, Bubba, got to cut it. Stop talking. And he goes, no, no, no. I'm at the stage in life right now where I'd give anything for my kids to talk to me like that. 
I was like, whoa, I feel like a pretty bad dad right now, right? Super <laughs> convicting. And right, we go through those seasons where it's like, Lord, when will the noise stop? When will they be able to relax and stop talking? But later on in life, I think most parents say, man, I'd give anything to have my kids start talking to me about animal facts or whatever the case may be, right? But that's the heart of our God, right? Jesus told us how we should pray is Father who art in heaven, right? Not grand creator of the universe, not all these other things. And again, we should keep that mindset when we pray. We're not just speaking to the creator of heaven and earth, but you're speaking to your dad, speaking to your father. I hope none of you here, when you address your dad, you're saying, right, thou father, how art thou, right? You're just talking to him like your pops. And that's the way our prayer should be, right? Jesus tells us that we should have the heart of a child, right? That's the way we should be speaking to him. And that's the way God desires for us to speak to him perpetually, ongoing. We go back to verse 10. It tells us the other important time period or thing to be done with this altar of incense is that Aaron's going to make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. I know we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, bear with me here. That word atonement, it's to make up for an offense. It's to make up for an injury. It's to repair or make amends for wrongdoing. And the way our relationship with God starts is that we need to say, I've done wrong. We need to say, I have broken something. There's something here that needs to be repaired. I have caused an offense. I've made an injury. I need to make amends for my wrongdoing. I don't know about you guys. I don't do so well when someone's hurt me or done something and they just want restoration without saying, I am sorry. Maybe you guys are great at that, right? They come back to you. They want to cozy up to you like nothing ever happened. And you're like, aren't you forgetting three little words here, right? I am sorry, I was wrong, it was my fault, right? Something like that. And our walk with the Lord, our relationship with God starts with that. Lord, I've done wrong. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We looked at Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That word remission, it's to be released from guilt, be released from penalty, it's to receive a pardon. And now what's the penalty? What's the guilt of sin? It's death. So the only way that we can be right with God is if we receive this release from our sins, our release from the dealt that we are owed, that we are due because of our lifestyle, because of our life's work. And that can only happen in the shedding of blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice. Finally, 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 tells us, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Right? Maybe you're here and you feel left out. Or maybe you're here and you say, ah, oh, the church is a big clique, right? They don't let me in. They don't want to hang out with me. A good question to ask yourself is, are you living 1 John 1 verse 7? Are you walking in the light as he is in the light? Because it tells us straight up, then we will have fellowship with one another. But if you're walking in darkness and you're mad that Everybody at church doesn't want to be your bestie. It's because you're not being obedient to God's word. 
And then you can go to other scripture where God says, what fellowship does light have with darkness, right? We need to be walking in the light. And then we get fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, will cleanse us, will pardon us from our sin, our sentence of death, and our eternal separation from God. Again, that one day a year when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, he would take the blood of the sacrifice and put it on the horns of the altar of incense, reminding the priest every morning and every evening, the only way I can come here is by the blood on the corners of this altar. Think of the blood year after year after year after year, right? 1,500 years of the tabernacle. After that, you have the temple. And year after year, putting blood on the corners of the altar of incense. Sure had a certain smell, certain look, certain crust, certain dried up blood there on the corners. A reminder to the man, the only way I can enter into this prayer, into this fellowship with God, is through that shedding of blood, through the atonement, the pardon of my sin. Back in Exodus chapter 30, now we see this little break here in the different pieces of furniture. And in a sense, this is one of the ways that the Lord provided funds to prepare the tabernacle and to build it. It speaks here of ransom money. In verse 11, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is that everyone among those who are numbered shall give half a shekel according to the shekel of a sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras. At this point, a shekel is not an actual currency, but it's a certain weight. And the half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. This is likely the same tax. This is, I think a few people's favorite scripture right not only does peter go fishing and catch a fish but he catches a fish that has money in it and pays taxes that's like a great day right and peter he's there and he's talking with the pharisees and they say does your master not pay taxes and peter he's always first to speak second to think right he goes of course he pays right so then he talks to jesus says hey how are we going to pay for our taxes <laughs> jesus says, hey don't worry about it go fishing catch a fish there's going to be money there it's likely this is the same tax now for the temple. Twice in the book of Numbers, there would be a census taken where God would not plague the nation of Israel. You see, God warns the kings of Israel to not count the people, to not amass for themselves horses and military might, and to not amass for themselves wives and women. The warning there is that they wouldn't think that, oh man, there's so much people here that we're safe, or we have such a big military that we're safe, or that their heart would be given away to different women. However, David, right, one of the great men of faith in 2 Samuel chapter 24, totally blows this. And he has a census and it costs him dearly. And then God, being that perfect father, does the, probably one of the toughest parts of discipline, right? I don't know if you've ever been there where your dad says, you pick your punishment. And that's basically what God tells David. You pick your punishment. Do you want me to punish you? you want the people of the world to punish you? And David says, God, I want you to do it because you're gracious and you're loving and you're merciful. Right? David, when he realizes he's done wrong and he's been called out on it, quick to repent. That's why he's a man after God's own heart. Back to verse 14, it tells us everyone included among those who are numbered, 20 years old and older, they're going to give an offering to the Lord. The rich will not give more. And the poor will not give less than half a shekel when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. 
You shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel, and you shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Charles Spurgeon, he says, This ransom money spoke clearly. Everyone owes God. Everyone is obligated to him. In these men, 20 years old and older, paying half a shekel as redemption money, they were confessing that they deserved to die. Owning that he was in debt to God and bringing the sum demanded as a type of great redemption, which would by and by be paid for the souls of the sons of men. Family, do you live your life realizing that you are indebted to God? Do you live your life like that? Or do you think, God, you owe me, right? Lord, what about these dreams, these desires that I want that still haven't happened? Where is this? Where is that? God, time's up. Where are you? What's going on? You're living a life saying, God, you owe me. God, you should be doing X, Y, and Z for me, and you're not, so you're messing up. We need to be careful because that can quickly creep into our hearts, right? To think, oh, God, you owe me because... Calvary Chapel might be so blessed to have me as a pastor, right? That can creep into our hearts. Honey, you're so blessed that I'm your husband, right? Thank God I'm your husband, right? You're indebted to me because of who I am and what have I've done for you, right? And we should be confessing, Lord, you've forgiven me. I deserve to die. Lord, I haven't received what I deserve. Lord, thank you, God, that you are not fair, that you don't give me what I deserve because I deserve the worst of the worst. We should be living a life like that, in debt and in gratitude for what the Lord has done for us. Right? One of the problems with the culture today is there's no gratitude, right? Everyone thinks, I deserve this. Of course I deserve this. The newest car, the newest phone, the newest laptop, newest house. Of course I deserve this. And we should have a heart and lifestyle that is that woman that was forgiven much, so she loved much. Realizing how much he's been forgiven. The other thing to look at here is the price for pardoning the sin of a rich man is the same price as pardoning the sin of a poor man. It's in and only and through the blood of Jesus Christ. We continue verse 17. Now we look at the bronze laver. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, You shall also make a laver of bronze and its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. Any of you parents here have middle school boys, this is a great verse to put in the bathroom, right? Remind them, you need to wash lest you die, right? (laughs) Verse 21, so they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die, and it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. Again, we've looked at the majesty of the Lord, the intricacy of the Lord, right? How God, he wants the very best for himself, but our God is also very practical. Right? Have you ever seen someone make a purchase and you're saying, this is the most impractical thing you've ever bought, right? Someone buying a house or a car or clothes and you're like, this is super impractical. What in the world are you doing here? But the Lord, he's super practical. Think of all the butchering taking place every single day at the tabernacle. Think of all the blood being shed, all the flesh, all the guts, all the gore, all the animal 
cleaning out that's happening each and every day, all day long, out in the middle of the desert. And God's saying, you need to have water. You need to clean yourself. You need to clean these instruments. You need to be doing this. God wanted them to be cleansed before they could come into his presence. And the same is true for us today. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 24. Psalm chapter 24. David, again here, he reminds us of the heart of God, the mindset of the Lord. Psalm 24, verse 3, tells us, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, Selah. Again, family, the only way that we can step into the presence of God is if we've been cleaned, if we've been purified. And that first cleaning, that first purifying that takes place, we looked at this list last week, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 the beginning portion of that chapter is talking about all the sins that the people were dealing with. Then in verse 11, it says, And such were, past tense, some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. How when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are cleansed. We're washed and then we can enter into his presence. But what's the problem? We're living in this world and this world is filled with sin. And the sin of this world can get stuck on us. So we need to be washed. We need to be washing ourselves. We looked at John chapter 13 verse 10. Jesus, he's washing all the disciples' feet. Peter realizes he totally blew it. He should have been the one washing people's feet, right? He tells Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you've got no part with me. So he says, give me a bubble bath right here, right now, right? Clean my head, clean my body, my whole feet. And Jesus tells him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. So again, for us, if you've already been saved, the washing that we do, it's not our full soul and our whole life every single time. Lots of us were there. I was there, right? Every night you're asking, Lord, save me. Lord, I want to get saved. Lord, I want to get saved. But we need to be cleaning our lives, our mind from the filth and gunk of this world. You can't even watch commercials anymore without this world trying to dominate your mind, without telling you what to think and how to think. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, it reminds us that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. We need to be taking in God's word. That's the only way we can cleanse ourselves, our lives, our minds, our hearts. And that's why the world has always had it out against God's word. Whether it's burning it down or whether it's saying that it's not real or not true and it's fictional. That's why the world has such a hatred towards God's word. Because it's the only thing that can cleanse us. And the only way we can get into God's presence is if we're what? If we're cleaned, if we're washed. Finally, in Titus chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it reminds us that he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he's poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we get that initial washing when we get saved. We need to wash ourselves with God's word. And finally, we need to be washed in and through the Holy Spirit. 
Again, this bronze laver filled with water so that they'd be able to clean themselves in the midst of all these animals, all this sacrifice, everything going on. God said, the only way you can come into my presence is if you've been cleaned. We go back to Exodus 30, verse 22. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, also take for yourselves quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary and a hint of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compound according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil, and with it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table, all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the laver and its base. Verse 29, you shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons, consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured out on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. If you've ever had the joy of being able to go on one of our marriage retreats or one of our young adults retreats, uh, we do it at a hotel there in Bonita Springs called the Hyatt Coconut Point. And the moment you walk into that building, you sort of smell and it has a distinct smell. It has a very specific smell in that building. And for a while I wondered, man, what in the world? How does this place smell like this everywhere, right? Now we found out they literally pump a certain smell through the air ducts and through the AC system. So the whole building would have its own signature scent. And the tabernacle had its own signature scent. God had to make this oil, all these different spices, so that it would have its own signature scent. And again, our God is such a God of practicality. Be reminded of what's going on all day long outside the tabernacle. What's happening? Death, killing, sacrifice all day long. I don't know every single cologne or every single perfume fragrance in the day and age we live in. There probably is something like that, but I hope none of you are wearing it, right? What are you wearing? I'm wearing blood by so-and-so, right? I'm wearing rotten flesh by so-and-so, right? I'm wearing sinew and this and that. No, or I'm wearing intestines by so-and-so, right? So what did God do? Instead of having the smell of death throughout the tabernacle... He made them create this anointing oil, and they anointed every piece of furniture, the tabernacle, the priests, and everything on the property. Again, taking care of that wretched smell. It's also important that God warned them to never replicate this mixture, to never pour it out on any random person. It was never for resale. There was not a gift shop outside the tabernacle saying, hey, have your home smell like the tabernacle, right? And honey, look at the candle I bought you. Now we can smell like the tabernacle, right? There was nothing like that. Again, the oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit, and God wants us to never try to replicate the Holy Spirit. That is a work from the Lord and the Lord alone. And there's a warning to us even today that we should never try to make a man-made imitation of the Holy Spirit. There's warnings to us, right? God, he doesn't like imitations. 
Uh, every couple of weeks, right, in the port of Miami, there's always a bust. It's like million dollars, a hundred million dollars in fake Jordans or fake purses or fake laptops. And, right, we shouldn't be into those types of things. But God, he wanted no type of imitation of the Holy Spirit or of this oil. And we have to be weary of ministries that make imitations of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Which is really giving the gifts of the Holy Spirit a bad rep because people are singing in tongues and they're not singing in tongues. They're just saying Honda and Suzuki and different words all over and over and over again, right? And that's an imitation of the true working of the Holy Spirit. Right, I'd hate to go there, but it's important for us, right? Churches that they want fog machines in the churches because they want it like the presence of God. They want like the incense of the Lord inside the sanctuary. It's a literal imitation of what God's saying not to do. Right? Even Bethel, that ministry, you gotta be careful with them, right? They have amazing music, we gotta be careful with them. There's a the theology's whack, all that stuff. In some other services, they have gold dust poured out from the ceiling that it would feel like the presence of God, the throne room of God. Got to be careful with these things. We should make no imitation of the Holy Spirit. I forget who I was talking to, but in sushi, a lot of sushi rolls, what they have as the base is imitation crab meat. Straight up what it's called, imitation crab meat, right? And hopefully when you go to the crab house, you don't go to eat all you can eat, imitation crab meat, right? Because it's pretty gross by itself. And anything that's an imitation, it's nothing like the original, so we have to be careful being in ministries or if we're trying to replicate the working of God because it's never like the original and it's going to give it a bad rep. Uh, we continue chapter 30 verse 34. says, The Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stacked and onica, sorry if I'm butchering these words, a galbanum and pure frankincense with these sweet spices. There shall be equal amounts of each and you shall make of these an incense and a compound according to the art of a perfumer salted, pure, and holy. I don't know if there's any chemist here, but Stephen Coy says the salting of this mixture was probably designed to secure rapid burning through the addition of sodium chloride so that this smell, this incense, right, that was created would burn up quickly and more evenly. Verse 36, you shall beat some of it very fine and you're going to put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting where, again, what's the whole point of everything we're doing? So that God would meet with them, and it shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. It shall be to you holy from the Lord. Whoever makes any like it, to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. The last thing that we should be reminded of is as even the priests were anointed with this fragrance and perfume... It's so that the priests would literally have their own signature smell. You'd be walking around the city and it smells like there's a priest around here, right? And for us, who are we, New Testament? We are a kingdom of priests. And our lives should have a signature smell. A good one, not a bad one, right? Our lives should have the signature smell. We should have the fragrance of Christ within our lives. That when we meet with people, they say, how are you so kind? How are you so loving? How are you so gracious? How are you so calm in a time like this, right? They shouldn't say, how are you so sarcastic? How are you so mean? How are you so cruel? Because then you're just like the rest of the world. But we as a kingdom of priests, we should have the scent and the fragrance of Christ. We should walk into a room and unbelievers say, man, what's different about you, right? There's something different about you and I want it. 
Not something that's repulsive, not something that's disgusting, but something that the world would want. There's some uh, brothers here at the church, and I could tell cologne is their thing, right? And when they walk in, I could smell, man, so-and-so, they're about to enter the room, right? And they come in, and it's great, because sometimes I don't have to wear cologne. I could just give them a big hug, and man, I'm going to smell great afterwards. And that's who we should be like as believers, People should come and they should meet with us and they should have the fragrance of Christ that we should have. Someone shouldn't come in contact with us and now be more in the flesh or be more carnal or be more crude or more sarcastic or more like this world. People should come in contact with us and now become more like Christ. That's who we should be. Exodus chapter 31 verse 1 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name. Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. This guy's name, it literally means in the shadow of God. He's been living in God's shadow all this time. And now God is calling him by name to Moses up in the mountain there in the presence of God. In verse 3 it says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for settings, in carving, and to work in all manner of workmanship. I don't know this guy's name. I've never met anyone by this name, right? But we should take heart knowing that God knew him by name and that God had a specific calling for him. And each and every one of us, God knows you by name. And he has a specific calling upon your life. And you have Moses, right? You have the, the big guys, right? In our minds. You have Moses, Aaron, Hur, these guys that they had the presence of God. They were anointed by God. God had a specific plan and purpose for them. But God had just as great of an outpouring of his spirit on this man and on the different people that God would call to build the tabernacle. You see, family, we need spirit-filled construction workers. We need spirit-filled wood carvers, right? We need spirit-filled goldsmiths. We need spirit-filled plumbers, right? If you know one, let me know. I'm looking for one, right? We need spirit-filled workers for the Lord. And sometimes we think, ah, this work that I do, this trade that I do, God doesn't care about it. It's not holy. Here, I'm super lazy. I could care less. When I get to church, oh, this is holy. This is for the Lord, right? Maybe some dads here, you're, you're saying, oh, I have to change the diaper. I have to take care of the kids. This is I'm so much better than this, right? God has bigger plans for me. No, you're just filled with pride. That's all that's happening right there. Everything we do, everything our hands find itself to do should be done for the glory of the Lord. We should be spirit-filled in everything we do. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 through 25, it warns us, it tells us, whatever we do, do it heartedly as to the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Again, we need spirit-filled people in every area of life, in every trade, in being a lawyer, in being an accountant, in being a police officer, in all these different things. We need spirit-filled, hard workers doing things for the glory of God. I don't know why within our nation there's almost a looking down upon people that make money based on the work of their hands and the sweat of their brow. And to me, it's something I enjoy more and more. It's people that I respect more and more. And we see it throughout Scripture. 
where God has a special heart and calling for people that work with their hands, right? The tradesmen of the day, the people that work with the sweat of their brow, the strength in their lives. God has a special calling upon them. We shouldn't look down upon them. And we should be careful. Parents, you should be really careful, really pray it through. That college isn't for everyone, right? I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here. But university and college, it isn't for everyone. And if our commercials on Disney Channel are going after our kids, and middle schools are going after our kids, and high schools are going after our kids, man, universities and colleges, it has been there, done that for decades already. Looking, desiring to inhale and eat up your children and their heart and their desire for the Lord. So really pray it through. Really make sure that this is what God is calling them to do. There's nowhere in Scripture. Maybe it's our upbringing. Maybe it's because many of our parents weren't able to go to college. Some of us weren't going to college. So we want better lifestyle for our kids. But there's nothing in Scripture that says, Thus saith the Lord, thou shalt go to college. There's nothing like that in Scripture. And I tell guys, hey, be an AC tech. Learn to work with your hand. You need to work. God says you don't work, you don't eat. More parents should put that out with their kids, right? But for us... God can use them in mighty ways and in different ways. And honestly, you talk to people, they need people that can work with their hands and they can do well in their lives as well. How many of us here were doing what we went to college to do, right? How many of you here, your actual job is what you went to school for? I'd say probably half of us, right? Maybe less. So be careful just saying, son or daughter, you have to go to college. Be careful because the universities, they're looking to indoctrinate your children. If you send them, that's good, that's great. But make sure they're ready. Make sure they're prepared, like Daniel, to not just go there and take what the world is giving them, but to go and give a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So have them ready for that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it tells us we are his workmanship. We are his poema. We are his piece of artistry created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So again, God knows each and every one of us by name, and God has specific works and specific things planned out for each and every one of us by name. The question is, will we walk in them? Will we be spirit-filled? Will we be following the Lord? And will we be walking in them? In verse 6, we see that he even called right the guy to help him out, Aholiab, the son of Ahismach, of the tribe of Dan, I put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tabernacle of meeting, the ark of testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furniture of the tabernacle. The table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense. God's literally giving Moses a list of all the things that have to be made. Altar of burnt offering, its utensils, the laver, its base, the garments of ministry, holy garments for Aaron the priest, garments of his sons to minister as priests, the anointing oil, the sweet incense for the holy place, according to all that I've commanded you, they shall do. Now, God, in his perfect knowledge of us, what's the first thing that he reminds the nation of Israel after he's given them this huge building project, this huge building plans, all of this hard work to do? He reminds them of the Sabbath. Very first thing he reminds them of. Right? They say one of the most stressful things you can put on a marriage is going through a home renovation, right? A home project. I don't know if any of you have gone through the joys of that, right? It is stressful. Now imagine a whole nation coming together to build plans based on their 80-year-old leader hearing from God in a mountain, right? And now they have to do it perfectly. 
No interpretation, no getting off the blueprints, no winging it or uh, let's do a little Mickey Mouse here, right? There's nothing like that. Had to be perfectly as God ordained. So God reminds them in verse 12, he says, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath. Therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day he rested and he was refreshed. Uh, quickly going through this. I don't know why some people are drawn to it. I'm not that drawn to it. But there's some people today that they want to bring back the old covenant. They say that we should be living in the old covenant. Be careful here because God several times throughout this paragraph, if you would, says that this is for the children of Israel. This is for the children of Israel. This is not for the bride of Christ. This is not for the church at large. This idea of having to keep the Sabbath, it's a picture for the children of Israel. Circumcision and keeping the Sabbath, those were the two signs, the two tokens that this was a special people for God, the nation of Israel. It's also important, I don't know those who keep the, the Sabbath, that if they ever miss a Saturday, do they die? Do they get cut off? Do they get put to death? Because that's what it says in verse 15, that if you miss one, if you don't keep the law, you got to be put to death. You got to be cast out from the people. And there's some people that, man, they want to put on more from Scripture, on their lives, it helps them walk with God. But Romans 14, verse 5, it's so clear to us. It says, one person esteems one day above the other, and another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So if you're here and Saturday's your day to be with the Lord, that's great. But it ain't my day. And you shouldn't be forcing that on anybody else. If that's the day God has called you to, that's great, that's awesome, that's amazing. But let's go out and share the gospel with the unbelieving world. Let's not share the gospel of the Sabbath to other people who are already saved, already going to heaven, already blood-bought and maturing with the Lord. Again, that we would be convinced each in his own mind. Do what God has called you to do. But it doesn't make you any more holy, and it doesn't make anyone else any less holy. Finally, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, right? God knows exactly where we would go. He says, let no one judge you in food or in drink regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Again, this was all a shadow. The Sabbath, it's important. It's good for us, even us today. Men should take one day to rest. One day to go to church, one day to be in the assembly of the brethren, right? We need to be doing that. But the specific day, God, he doesn't care about that. That was all a shadow. The substance is Christ. I love the end of verse 17. Every time you read scripture, you find something new. It tells us on the seventh day, he rested and he was refreshed. 
I had never seen this before. I knew God, he's God, he's omniscient, he's all-powerful. It's not like God was tired. Woof, the last six days have put me out, so I need a day to rest. He's God, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing. So he takes that Sabbath day of rest to show us, man, take a day off, don't work, spend time with God, focused on God's presence. But what I had never seen before is the last thing that God makes on day six is Adam. So the moment God makes Adam, he takes a whole day off to spend time with Adam, to be in fellowship with Adam. And it tells us he was refreshed. So again, our whole point of being on this rock, right? People struggle, people try to, I'm not good at with these words, right? Philosophize, right? They try to create philosophy. Why are we here on this planet? What's our reason? What's our existence? We're here to have fellowship with God. And if your identity is in anything else except for being a son of God or a daughter of God, that identity is going to be shaken, even in good things. If your identity is in being a husband or wife, if your identity is in being a parent or a child, if your identity is in being a grandparent or where you work, for some people their identity is in sin. And they're saying, this is who I am. This is what defines me. All of those things in life will be shaken. But if our identity is in, Lord, I'm here to get to know you, the whole point of the tabernacle was that we would meet with you. The whole point of me being on this planet is to grow in fellowship with you. You'll never be shaken. The storms will come. Different things will change. You'll be married. You'll be single. You'll have kids. Empty nest, full nest. And you'll be at peace because your identity is in Christ Jesus and in who he has called you to be. Finally, verse 18, he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai. And he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony. It's like, hey, by the way, take these two tablets of testimony, right? Tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Right? So Moses is up there 40 days. We read that God verbally told the whole nation, right, the Ten Commandments. But now the next 40 days, it's God showing Moses, this is how much I want to dwell with you. This is how much I want to be with you and me with you. Well, hey, by the way, Take these tablets. Let me write down this list for you to keep, right? Again, what was the most important thing in God's eyes? Fellowship with us. That's why he sent Jesus so that we'd be able to have fellowship with him. And again, it's written in stone. Ten commandments written in stone. Can't take back, can't switch it out, can't switch the interpretation of it. This is what it is. So again, for us, that we'd grow in prayer, that we'd be in a constant state of prayer, not having to close our eyes when we drive. Don't do that, right? There's enough of drivers like that on the road in Miami. Uh, not to close your eyes when you're in an argument with your spouse saying, oh, I'm just trying to pray here right now. No, don't do anything like that, right? We'd be in a constant state of prayer. We wouldn't try to replicate the working of the Holy Spirit. We'd be asking God, you fill me for whatever job you have called me to do, who you've called me to be. And that we'd be reminded all of Scripture, our whole lives, it's about being in the presence of God. It's about meeting with God and fellowshipping with God. 